be like a line outside around the block for these shows and I'd go who are these people who are they are they metal people are they what and I and then I'd look and I'd go Slayer shirt Metallica shirt South Park shirt okay okay Simpson shirt all right Mastodon shirt okay but you just start to see like oh they're cartoon fans are metal they're all the same person as it turns out they're people who like comedy and people who like metal So I am beyond psyched because today on the show, one of the smartest, one of the most creative, one of the most prolific, one of the funniest guitar players I've ever gotten to know, Mr. Brendan Small. You are currently listening to Galacticon 2. This is the second album from Galacticon. Galacticon is his main project these days. It's a band, but, you know, he's kind of the sinister mastermind behind it the puppet master this album is called become the storm it's brendan small's conception he's the guy playing those incredible armies of guitar in perfect harmony and those he's the guy singing all his vocal parts stacked in perfect harmony he's the guy who's also doing the crazy thrash cookie monster vocals You might have gotten to know that vocal sound from his previous project, which was Metalocalypse, the great cartoon. Metalocalypse starred an animated intergalactic thrash band that became very popular. This cartoon became very popular worldwide. And I know that some of you have seen every episode. And the band, yeah, Death Clock, hilarious. And then in the case of Life Imitating Art, Brendan actually performed as Death Clock just you know a bunch of tours i think or at least a couple tours and i saw one of the shows at a huge venue with mastodon on the bill as well (laughs) it's just amazing to see you know thousands of people thrashing to a cartoon because the cartoon was literally playing above brendan's head above the band's head on a giant screen it's like brendan and the musicians were like halfway between rock stars and orchestra pit musicians with the cartoon above is brilliant. Brendan's really good at thinking new school. He has a really cool ways of doing things. For instance, he's got a comic book to go with his album. That's right. If you like comics or graphic novels or anything, you really got to check out the Galacticon comic. It's really good. He'll tell you about the plot when we get into this. But other things that Brendan does, well, first of all, he got known for his first TV show, which was called Home Movies, popular animated show. And he now does a cool comedy show about once a month in the Los Angeles area called Baked. It's Brendan and co-host Steve A.G. They run this thing and they have really badass comedians join them. I saw Zach Galifianakis show up at one. I know Sarah Silverman's been to one. I mean, the comedians do stand-up sets, and then they do rock and roll stuff in between. Sometimes the comedians even sing tunes with the band. It's a really cool concept. Brendan's full of concepts. And also, in a case of life 
imitating art. He's got guitars that match the cartoon Death Clock, like his signature Thunder Horse looks like the Destroyer you saw in the cartoon. Same paint job and everything. Really badass. I think I'm playing one of those in this interview. And Brendan is giving away an Epiphone Snow Falcon. It's kind of like a flying V, but totally Brendanized and, and it's like albino and totally stealth looking. Really looks cool. White fretboard. You could win one of those at guitarworld.com. Check it out. If you want to get the details, go to Brendan's Twitter account, which is at underscore Brendan Small. Brendan spelled B R E N D O N. Yeah, don't mess around with those other non-legit Brendan spellings. No, I'm just kidding. Other Brendans of the universe. Just kidding. Your spelling is legit as well. You with the A-Ns. So anyhow, let's fire up the chopper. But before we do, I just got to tell you, I got this new thing that I don't think I could go on a trip without. It's become instantly a part of my life. I mean, I always take a guitar when I go anywhere, especially if I'm doing a gig, obviously. But even if I'm going to visit family or whatever, I always bring a guitar. Well, now I got to also bring the Boss Katana Mini Amp from Boss, obviously. It's a little amplifier that will fit in your carry-on or even your backpack. It's smaller than a lunchbox, got a nice handle on it, battery-powered, but you can run it on power supply as well. And it's got this killer three-channel analog preamp. It goes from clean to dirty to full saturation. I'm just running a Telecaster here through it for you. And it's got this cool analog echo section. That's what I love about it, man. They really put a lot of effort into this tone. It's not as loud as even a microcube, but the tone is so useful for a hotel room or, you know, sometimes I like to put it down the hall or something and hear it echo. Or for backstage, if you want to have some, if you're sitting around after sound check for a couple hours and you'd like to have some to kind of actually make some sound through that sounds decent, I love it. And you know what? It's all analog, which I'm really into these days. For today, I'm going to call it practical circuitry, meaning there's no zeros and ones. And I use that term because when I was talking to Brendan today, he told me some cool stuff. Again, this interview was done a while ago, but I just want to check in and see what was new before I put it out. And the good news is that the album hit number one on the Heat Seekers chart on Billboard. Talking about Galacticon, Become the Storm. That's right, number one on the Heat Seekers. One of the songs even made it into the top 10 of the rock chart. So cool. But anyway, I'm talking to Brandon. He's in his car. He's driving to a video shoot for Funny or Die. They're putting some budget into a music video for him. It's going to be so dope. And that word practical comes up again, which means... All the effects for his sci-fi music video are going to be utterly analog. There's not going to be any of the CGI crap. I don't know about you, but I get tired of, of these previews and these movies that have all the CGI. It's just numbing. It doesn't look real to me anymore. Never really did, but now it just looks so fake. I want to see real effects. I want to see real stunts. I want to see real camera tricks using real objects and that's what's going on with this brendan had like a he was telling me dude i got a scale model of the galacticon spaceship in the seat right next to me it lights up and everything 
So yeah, they're doing like old school kind of Spielberg, George Lucas type of effects, and it's going to be really cool. Looking forward to that video. It will come out on Funny or Die somewhere around Halloween. So again, follow Brendan Small or the No Guitar Safe Facebook page or my Twitter account, which is Jude underscore gold. And I will share all of this stuff with you. Please head to iTunes and write a nice review of the show if you happen to like it. I really appreciate all your nice messages about the podcast. Again, my name is Jude Gold. This is episode 58. Huge thanks to Guitar Player Magazine, celebrating 50 years in print this year, and GuitarPlayer.com for their continued support of my show. I appreciate it. This is a longer episode, so there won't really be an outro at the end, but I will remind you to check out Zoom recorders. I love them. I use them. And also, you got to keep it alive to you 95 people. Let's fire up the chopper and head over to Brendan Small's home studio in sunny Los Angeles, California. on the new record for sure a lot like, of lega- yeah I, I guess i've been working on that stuff a lot the legato stuff basically i want to if i'm doing legato i want to do it because it's a choice rather than uh i can't use my pick <laughs> rather than i i'm not good enough with my right hand so i want to be able to make sure that i can um do both and choose the one that makes more sense at the time do you have like any uh, any exercises or any like routines you've been kind of doing lately yeah i mean i've been doing like <laughs> One of the things I do, and it's it's been really fun, is is just um, it's that I I keep buying these Tom Quayle lessons. So it's like the snake eating its tail. I'm just like going back into the YouTube world, but but there are good lessons there, and he's got such an amazing legato technique, and it's also that Brett Garsed stuff. And but just uh, trying to control legato, the the most difficult thing in my legato is controlling your rhythm. You know, it's easier to play fast than it is to play slow with legato. You know, your fingers just want to go nuts and right. go get there quicker because you can because you don't have the right hand stopping you from doing anything. But if you really, really slow it down to what I call like bullet time guitar playing or bullet time practicing, which is like you just slow it down. You figure out why something's not working. There's good reason you turn into like guitar detective and you figure out why why the thing you want to do isn't <laughs> happening. Why physically or mentally or whatever it is that, that stops stops you from doing it. and when i do that when i and it's 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 painful brain work just as slowly it's not fun guitar playing at all it's just problem solving guitar playing and i think if you do 15 minutes of the hardcore it's like heavy lifting if you do like you're gonna get stronger you're gonna get better so it's not fun it's not just like wanking around and goofing off but if you just sit there and just isolate one little tiny thing for a little while you will figure it out if you're looking for the thing you know what i mean yeah it's like forensic shedding kind of kind of yeah but i i keep thinking about that just pulling i mean because we end up playing so fast and at some point it doesn't feel it doesn't feel fast it feels slow in fact what's an example of something that you might do say i imagine you get a click uh, track out to keep you like... so there's like something like you know taking that kind of shape that um what i call is like the major seven shape and it's three one three so it's all like holdsworth it's all um, all those nerdy legato guys. It's kind of like a three-string thing, huh? 
Yeah, so it's like three, so, one, three. So, so that's what you're doing on the fifth string. You're starting there at the third fret. Yeah, I like that it has yeah. the echo, so it feels like I'm a... I like to play guitar. <laughs> I like to make... I like to feel like I'm at the Rose Bowl playing a live show every morning. So even when I was right. doing there, the natural... For some reason, the natural tendency is to swing everything just a little bit. And I remember being a young guitar player and accidentally swinging, like... Like trying to do two-note per string and accidentally swinging all that stuff, but... So being able to like mute and being able to kind of like sometimes like maybe still be able to control a little bit of dynamics while you're playing fast stuff like that. But even that shape right there gets used so I use that all over the new records. Just that stupid shape because you can make it not sound the same every single time. You can mix it up. So at some point you start getting into those just little... You can start putting yeah. chromatics in there and start doing fun things that start feeling like it's just a little bit slightly more <laughs> unique than just constant diatonic, diatonic, diatonic. Well, since we're here, and we might as well be nerds for a second. So the, show us the three notes on the fifth string. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm on like, so here I am. Uh, this is what I do. This is when, I, when I'm when i like in Death Clock or Galacticon mode. I'm tuned to C standard, which means C to, it's just you take your guitar, you put on heavier strings, and you tune it down a major third. So I'm in C. <laughs> And the guitar you grabbed, which is my original Thunder Horse prototype, which is what you're playing. The original. Which, the original, yeah. But that, it's funny, the weirdest thing that happens with these guitars, and you leave them you know, just strong and on the wall, they tune themselves back up. They start tuning. The weirdest thing happens. You start getting like, I start, I'll come back and it'll be like a C sharp. It's <laughs> so weird. Haunted. It happens within <laughs> recording. But um, so I'm on like the so here. Uh, let's say concert. I'm on the th first fr uh, third fret of yep. the uh, A string. So I'm going one, um, and I'm doing two major step, two full steps. Yeah. So so it's um, C D E. If so, that's the other thing you start doing when you play C standard. You just start concert. You just call it yeah. concert E. Oh, yeah, just totally. it makes it easier. So. So that, so I go from the one, two, three to the fifth on the next string. So I have my fingernails just slightly grown out on those, on my, right. on my middle and ring finger on my right hand. So I can get a little bit of attack on that stuff. It really makes a huge difference, just the tiniest like right. centimeter of fingernail growth. So maybe you pick the fifth string and then you use your... So yeah, I'm using a lot of like, that's the other thing is like the Brett Garset, all those guys and... So much of that uh, hybrid picking where you are using two yeah. other fingers. And it does make a difference. It's just economy of motion. You can keep your right hand hopefully in the same place. And when you're doing all this legato stuff, strings will ring out like crazy. So you got to control the beast. So so I go one, two, three. I'm, I'm talking intervallically. So yeah. one, two, three, five. And that's on the fourth string? And yeah, that's on the, that's on the what I'm calling the D string. Yeah. So A, D. Yeah. And then I go up to the next string, so yeah. I'm kind of it's kind of like be, like some yeah. somewhere between the sweep arpeggio and, and legato. Then I hit the major seven. Now you're on the third string. Yeah, so I'm on my third string, and I've got the I'm seven one two, and that's the you know half whole step uh, shape. And then I'm on the third on the B string. So. Right, so and then, then sometimes I'll, so I'll go uh, to the. I guess I'm on the 
fifth, sixth, seventh. Back to the one. So yeah, I'm missing some strings, but you get the idea. If I use just Damn. my pick, they'll all kind of come out that a little bit louder. That sounds great. But you can get a little bit more dynamic if you use those fingers. And that's the weird thing. That's, I guess that's been what I've been doing for the last 10 years is playing f- super loud and then slowly going, wait a minute, how do I find dynamics when my amp is on 10 and I've got a, 500 gallons of distortion? And that's kind of the question I keep asking myself. I guess I'm going to keep playing in this genre and I'm not going to play, uh, I guess I'm not going to be in a Steely Dan cover band, which I'd like to be. But mm-hmm. um, how do I make sense of all this gain and tube amps and all that stuff and delay and noisiness and all that stuff. So that's what I, that's what I mess around with to see if I can do it quietly, see if I can do it loud, things like that. So that's kind of the shape that I, so if I'm an A, I'll use that same exact shape in that. So I'll just do like a C major seven constantly over that. Then all of a sudden you get kind of, you're just implying the, what is that chord? It would be the third major third. Right. So if I hit a A, yep. again we're tuned down. Yep. But if I hit an A, <laughs> I'm just going in. A, I love now it's it. turning into Guitar Center. But uh, no, dude. First of all, you're just blazing for seven in the morning here. What the? F- what time? Is it? This is early. This is early for anyone. <laughs> first of all, I'm half comedy guy and I'm half guitar guy. So if you put those together, I should be waking up around two p.m. Yeah. But it's it's ten o'clock. And but you're also half TV guy, which I'm puts TV, you back in the I've morning got, bracket. Yeah, which means I'm responsible. You're half yeah. producer. Which that's means right. Which means. I yeah. don't know. I think you're torn in half. Basically. I'm torn in half. Exactly. I've got it's it's for me the whole career is like l- the movie Little Big Man. Remember that with Dustin Hoffman or it opens up and he's an old man, but he's it's this whole epic long life story of this guy who's either a cowboy or he's an Indian and he's kind of getting pulled back and forth the whole time. So that's how I right. feel. And I would not have it any other way. This is what it takes nowadays, or I don't know if it's what it takes, but it's a new type of thing and you're the perfect example, which is taking all of one's talents and putting them all together like you're a comedian right. you're involved in animation yeah writer i know there's a new galacticon comics coming out right 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 and producer yeah and of course shredder shredder rooney yeah. college grad i went to i went to music school arranger yeah, yeah to a degree Mixer. Yeah. you gotta we're in your home studio oh, here. we're in my home studio i got I got mic pre's. That means I'm serious. Yeah, have, you do. What are those? I have APIs, and I have the BAE audio, um, you know, uh, Neve ripoffy things that sound good. Um, yeah, I've got real the, amps. I'm playing out of tubes. I got a distortion pedal. I got everything. You even have double glass, like your amps in the other I room. Know. So, uh, but it, your head is here. The cab. What are you playing through right now at this? Right now, I, I've been um, since I. So I finished the Galacticon recording, and I gave myself a gift because the last thing I want to do when I finish a recording is play guitar. <laughs> 
you know, because I just spent all this time playing it. So what I did was I started getting, and this is what happens to a lot of guitar players, maybe it happens to you still, but I get obsessed about a piece of gear, and then I just must have it. And then I go, and I'll go, all right, I've got a lot of amps here, but I guess I could go get one more. So I went and bought a Friedman um, Dirty Shirley, which to me is like, it's first of all, it's just a one-channel amp. It's like, I think it's 20 watts, which I think low-wattage amps, and you can sound like the Who, and if you put a pedal in front of it, you can sound like death metal if you want to. But um, this pedal in front of it sounds really good, which is that JHS Andy Timmons pedal, which is all over the new Galacticon record as well. But um, yeah, I like that. So that's the thing that made me want to play guitar again when I'm ready to like just go, all right, I finished another record, maybe I'll never touch it again. Man, I'm with you. I've been obsessed with stuff. I just Yeah, what are you into? I got a... (laughs) I got this new EMS amp from uh, Dr. Z. Oh, I super, even... like boutique, super. I can't even, like, I don't even want to go in a room with those because I know I'm going to try to buy one. So, they make so much great stuff, and and this one supposedly does, like, a lot of different Marshall stuff. So I already love oh, some of really? their more uh, twangy country, Brad Paisley sure, kind sure, of sure. stuff. And then this one's a kind of like a, a you just got to check it out, the Z, the Dr. Z EMS head. And oh, I got this Fryette thing, which is a... What's that? It's a crazy-ass... Uh, power soak with a 50 watt tube amp so you could take that little amp and get your tone exactly how you want it and then play it at any volume um, from zero to 50 yeah. watts and that's you can cool. add it or you can add effects afterwards just the way you have effects added after me that's what i do effects yeah. in post is the dream tone well that's what this is so that <laughs> <sighs> if i could just have an audience just scream then i wouldn't have to leave this room um no this is yeah i, I like effects in post and that's a big yeah. part of this record. We can talk about that later on because I just I started paying attention to you know you got to dial up your sound on a record. You have to be comfortable playing. That's the most important thing. And the truth is, you can do a lot to a guitar sound in post. Um, there are some sounds that you cannot fix in post. You're just like, what? I don't know why I put it on this middle selector thing on a five way toggle on a guitar, and now it sounds like a scoopy weird funk sound on the middle of a metal out. Um, right. <laughs> those things you just like those frequencies you can't really dial out, but. Um, I notice how much you can just mess around with sound just with a small amount of plug-in knowledge and hopefully a guy that's way better than me in mixing uh, there, too. Well, the new album sounds incredible. It's even a step up from the first Galacticon. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, I think sonically this may be my favorite sounding record. There's some songs on here that the ones to beat in, just in the mix alone. Got a juicy system in my car. It's <laughs> a lot going on. Yeah. Crank that shit, or in, in headphones too. My headphones gosh. are nuts. Yeah. Now I really want to jump into the new record, but real quick before I turned on this recorder, you—I just love those chords you were playing. They're, they're kind of oh, like. Oh, I was just doing the from uh, the previous Galacticon, oh, the yeah. first Galacticon so I was record. Just playing you this thing. <laughs> I was just. <laughs> That's beautiful. 
So that's all like to me. That's like I, I really liked early '80s Genesis. I liked the '70s Genesis, but when Phil Collins, like Abacab, um, to me has some of the coolest. Just just those pedal. about the power of the right little harmony it just doesn't matter what instrument you play it on yeah. it just transcends yeah I was playing like something earlier that's cool anyway man tell people what the f*** is yeah. Galacticon see like we're talking about you have you're such a multi-dimensional personality right. like what is Galacticon Galacticon so Galacticon was a thing that started out while I was doing death clock stuff and I had all these so here's the story I went um I was making death album too I was about to make death album too and I had talked to like there's all this stupid legal red tape and you have to get all these contracts together and I had this studio set up and I had Gene Hoagland ready and I had all wild ready and I had Brian Bella ready and we were ready to make Death Album 2. And so I reserved all the studio space and I got all these jerks in the same place. And and uh, the night before I was about to go in there, you know, with my guitars in my hands, my amps and everything, I look like the jerk, you know, I'm walking down the street <laughs> with guitars and amps in the bathroom. And uh, that's a cool sound. I hope that stays. Um, that was me moving the carpet and miraculously not knocking over the flying. There dude. are a lot of guitars here, so if you knock one over, it wouldn't be the wouldn't be the first time something like that happened. So, so I so I get a call and they're like, "Hey, this contract's not finished. There's a lot of stuff. We can't record tomorrow." And I said, "Oh man, that's that's not cool because I." I reserved all that time. I don't, basically, I I don't want people. I don't want to reserve time and then tell people they're not going to have work. I just don't want to do that. I, I feel like a jerk. So it's, something about it doesn't feel right. So I said, you know what? Everybody coming in the studio. I'm going to go through my hard drive, my hard drive, and I'm going to find all the songs that I don't think are necessarily Death Clock songs, and I'm going to make something. I'm going to make something. And we're, when we spent the next three days just going through, and I had my guitar out and Gene had his drums out, and we recorded all the drums for the first Galacticon record and all my scratch tracks and I had to like I had to do the thing that I've done all over Death Clock Records where I don't know what to do and I just start improvising then I go this is it okay this is the thing I'm committing to whatever whatever happens in these two bars I'm committing to this drum beat I can always change things later if I want to so um, so I did that and then after the third day we negotiated the contract and we stayed there and did Death Album 2 and I had to go through the whole production cycle of that finish it overdub all that stuff and then I sat there with a the hard drive of these Galacticons on what would eventually be Galacticon and I thought you know what I spent a lot of money on that stuff I better finish otherwise I'm I don't want to not complete a project. So that's where that came from and I started putting a story together with Galacticon. I started actually the first record I started um, there was once, and this is what I'll do when I don't know what to do for lyrics. I will sit there like a jerk and improvise sounds, melodies, stuff I would never want anybody to hear. It's so embarrassing. It's like a lunatic chanting to himself <laughs> in a room, making up sounds and spitting and just all this. It's not a pretty picture. Um, but I have I do it on all these records, and it's just a technique that I came up with, and I found out everyone does it. I heard that Tom York from Radiohead is more about the sound of the word rather than what the word means or implies or any of that stuff and i tend to agree with them i think it, the sound the consonants um the vowels that you use all that stuff is more important sometimes than the actual word but yeah. hopefully if you can get it all t working together it's even better 
So there's this one song that I started kind of improvising, and it was the song that's the end of the first Galacticon, a song called On My Way. What it would eventually be called was On My Way. And, um, and I just started kind of improvising these lyrics about, that sounded like a guy that was like on his way to go and save somebody, but he's complaining the whole time. And that was just kind of naturally happening. Or like, oh, I got to fucking save you and I got to, I don't want to, my back hurts, this is, and I'm not, and you, I got a problem. And I thought that's really interesting. I like that notion of a superhero saving someone and complaining the whole way. Then I started backtracking and coming up with a story. And I thought, this is going to be an intergalactic divorce story. This is going to be about a story about a guy. <laughs> like, what if Superman and Lois Lane had this public, messy, ugly divorce? She gets the Fortress of Solitude. She gets everything. He's screwed. His, you know, his, uh, his uh, management team starts distancing themselves from him. He's, maybe he screwed up. Maybe he sent intergalactic dick pics to somebody. And I was just thinking, like, this is a whole interesting kind of, like, hero's journey story of this guy, of this kind of exterior story and this interior story of this guy who has to get over a divorce. And I thought, this is totally interesting, and I can safely say I have not heard about that happening <laughs> in heavy metal music, maybe in, or in any other genre, not even in reggae. Um, but uh, So I thought, that's interesting, and that's something I can sink my... Basically, I get excited yeah. if I don't think I've heard that story before. Totally. You know? It's like he's, and he still cares about her a little bit. He's he like, knows God that he's got, and he also is like a combination of like him being narcissistic enough where it looks bad if I abandon you, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. to other people. <laughs> and also, I gotta do this because this is the final stage of me getting over this. So right. I just thought, put myself in a character's, um, in, in his head and start kind of thinking the way they would. How angry would you be? Where does the anger start? And all that stuff. So that's, there's anger in that. There's, there's like saying goodbye to a relationship. There is, and then in the funnier part about this whole thing for me is what if after the divorce, Lois Lane starts dating Lex Luthor? So that's part of the whole story, too. She dates his ultimate nemesis, and obviously it's a trap. Yeah. And so that's what the comic book is about. So we went back, as I was putting on Galacticon 2, Eric Powell, who is uh, known from Dark Horse Comics, from the comic, a very popular comic called The Goon. Which I really like a lot, and it really impressed me just how funny he was and how much he understood his world and character and all that stuff. So comedy, character, world, and relatability, that's what makes a thing, I think. And he had that, so he asked me if there was a story, and I said, you know what, we can put out an issue for every song on the record if we want to, on the first record, because I don't want this story, I want the fans to figure out the story first of so, the second Galacticon. So... Um, yeah, those comics will come later, I guess. Those will come, yeah. If, if this one performs well, we'll see what happens. But um, anyway, that's the whole idea of the first Galacticon. It had to be story, and it had to be stuff that I couldn't really do in Death Clock, which is melodic vocals. And sometimes there will be like a major chord, you know? I, dude, you, I actually have notes about this. I wanted to say that yeah. you just completely, unlike if I would just use the blanket term meddlers. Right. You know how to harness the power of the major chord. Oh, I appreciate like, that. What do you uh, mean? So what do you mean by that? Like, what song is it? You know, like on To Kill a God, there's a cycle of chords where it comes around and it hits the major, and it oh, just sounds so, right. so emotional when you come around to that.
Oh yeah, that's right. So it's like a bump, bump, da dun da 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 da. So I go from I, I'll cycle. I'll do a parallel major in place of yes. a parallel minor. And yeah. I don't remember exactly how to play that right now, but I know what you're talking about. So there's something that happens where I, oh I go to the four chord, where I go I'm minor in the first. On, on, on the one chord and then I eventually transition to the four chord and there's a breath of fresh air where you go oh I didn't know it was going to be major that's kind of cool I mean you do that all the time on the opening track which is some days are for dying right yeah there's a power of, I call it the power of the major like yeah, it's talking yeah. about something that's unharnessed a lot So yeah, it all depends. It's funny. Yeah. I think about chords often because inversions of chords change the color. They may as well be called new chords. When you invert a chord, when you put the third in the bass, to me, it, yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, I will file that under a first inversion. Yeah. Get that moving bass line. Yeah, but you get that that kind of classical, like, yeah. this is where music school kind of came in. But also, I was listening to Brian May yeah. and even Weezer and all that stuff. They found a way. There's so much power in um, acknowledging the, the root motion. So if you go A, A major to D minor. Yeah. Oh, so that's D. That's the second version of D if I stay on the A. But if right. I do this... So you hear the yeah. So if I want to go one two one first inversion to flat six major, like you. So I mean, yeah. it's just it's you can do it. Really is, and and th it's so funny because. Brian Beller, who I've been working with for 10 years, is, you know, a really, really great musician, despite yeah. being a bass player. I mean, <laughs> let's just be on. Okay. No, he's he's obviously one of the most talented guys who, and it's so funny, going to music school, we cut through a lot of just verbal bullshit going, first inversion, second time around, you got the thing, okay, yeah, and then we'll go, and then there's that line cliche, and we'll just talk all, we'll talk about all the stuff yeah. that we've all these terms yeah. we we both understood because we went to the same music school but you know that just saves time ultimately knowing your scales oh, yeah. and chords and all that stuff but um but we'll do this all this and this is a trick i use every time and it works every time even if it's a i'm ripping myself off is twice around root position third time around we're going to go to the first inversion of the same thing and it's just an arranging trick and yeah. I, I've been doing it since the, there's a song called Go Into the Water where I would yep. do that too and um, finding so I think even in Go to the Water I do like a I'm in E minor concert again right. and I go to the third and then I do a Beatles trick which is like uh, go to the four chord major and then go to the four yeah. chord minor yeah, and then go back to the first chord but major I love that song so that so but I do it in first inversion so I go and then I go first inversion chord 
So yeah, so that's just a simple thing, but I'm going one, four, and it's just, I just know that trick because I listen to Beatles. You're so good at harnessing the power of these just basic harmonic motions. It's It'll sound simple, incredible yeah. on any instrument, whether it's guitar right, or detuned yeah. or, or a keyboard or right, strings or, but, or voices, all your background harmonies. Right, you there's, a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of vocal. I did like more background vocals on this record than I've ever done, and that was just like... Uh, the funny thing about singing versus guitar... I play guitar every day. I like to play guitar. I do it almost just as therapy. It's nice. It's fun. And I like to learn something new. I like to work on stuff that may have nothing to do with metal, like fusion stuff, playing over changes, which I suck at. But I'm trying to get better. But um, I, what I don't do every day for the same amount of time is exercise my vocal cords and get good at that. So the only time I really sing is when I'm in this room making mm-hmm. myself miserable, trying to push my range to the, wherever I can and try to do as many things with one voice that I can. And so, but I get better each time. I get slightly better. I can zero in on the note because the way I look at it, your voice is not like a guitar. A guitar's got these wonderful frets and as long as I keep it in tune, I'm going to hit the right note. But my voice yeah. is like, uh, and I've said this before, it's, it's like a flesh-coated slide whistle. And I don't know if you've played a slide whistle before. It's not easy. You can overshoot a note by like an octave, you know? It's like playing a theremin or something. It really is. It's like playing a theremin. <laughs> it's like playing a, a creepy, weird, fleshy, like uh, strange kind of um, science fiction theremin. Well, can we jump into this new record? Now, first of yeah, all, is it, can you give us a little hint of the plot? Oh, the, um, do, is there well, a lyric sheet that comes with do, it? There is not a lyric sheet. I'm not putting lyrics with this record. Because some of it you can hear, but some of it yeah, is hard to detect. Yes, what you're well, in this one, see, I'm finished with Death Clock now. So basically, I reserve the right to make those sounds. They're, they come from me, and I'm going to make them. So you're going to hear that this record's a blending of kind of the original Galacticon with all the, the melody and all the kind of grandiosity and all that stuff and the more extreme brutal vocals that I'm kind of now known for as well so I figured I can basically I took every single song on the record and I did a brutal version and I tried to do a melodic version and I tried to make the choice and some of them have both of those things and some just are brutal songs some are more melodic songs but they all kind of you know as long as they all sound like they're coming from the same place and living on the same record well together then I'm okay and that's that's where we landed well, so this record man it has Everything, starting yeah. with both sides of the vocal spectrum and then, you know, standard tunings, deep-ass drop tunings, yeah. different yeah. meters, so many layers, and of course, the most monstrous drummer in the genre. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Gene Oakland, my God. Yeah. Is there any way perhaps you could open up a session since we're sitting here in Pro Tools of from the album and maybe isolate some of this craziness? You know what, Jude? You came a long way. You're already here. Why not? I drove blocks. 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 The comic book, by the way, and we can get back into this. I have tablature. I'll, I'll bring a copy in here, but there is the there's a robot who only speaks guitar, and it, his vocals, his That's dialogue so cool. is um, tablature. It's yeah. guitar tabs. And does it actually translate into words, or is it more no, just licks? It's more like it's more <laughs> like confirmations, denials, or whatever it is, like screaming, all kinds of stuff. Let's see what I have here. Um, <laughs> so epically nerdy. It's really nerdy. I love it. But I know that um, so I got everything there. And I have a, I have a, I have, so I'll, I'll play you this stuff, which is Gene's insane drumming. Oh, that's cool. You got them all. Got them all here. In this one session. This is a song called Icarus 666. And this is um, kind of an outer space 
uh, journey, like in a spaceship. Like there's there's a task at hand that needs to be completed. And I wrote this song after I watched um, the Never Ending Story. Um, I was just in my living room and I was like, I really like these synthesizers. I like the I like that '80s sound and everything. So here is this. It starts out nice and slow. You hear synthesizers, and I have all that wiggly guitar on top, the vibrato, and that's again that really creamy, nice melody from the uh, JHS pedal. And uh, and then, of course, it goes right into the crazy double kicks, and that's what Gene's known for. So I'm doing this raking thing on that thing. So that's not exactly the chords because I can't remember them, but that's the idea of... So I'm... So that's the idea, and then on top of that, so on top of that, I'm overdubbing. Duh, 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 duh. You're just and you I got your little, first finger over the twelfth fret harmonic node, but you're not actually barring yeah, I'm not, I'm the just strings. It over, so yeah, just you can see I'm holding it right over the center of the right string. Over the, yeah, no, right over the fret, yeah. right over the fret, and right. then I and I slam on. Right. It's all right. from Van Halen, of course. But yeah, that was basically from, yeah. you know, it derived from Mean Streets. Yeah. Or Mean <laughs> Street. There's so a beautiful Laser Witch from uh, the, Galacticon yeah, exactly, 1. Exactly. So. so there oh. you're just, you're tapping the 12th fret harmonic, and, but there, then you so but I get you, the fifth. But you're leaving your finger on the harmonic. I leave it on there while I'm while I'm yeah, while I'm while I'm hammering. Right. And then you just do it on then the third string, fourth string. So I used it there and I used it on another song called Rebuilding a Planet, where I kind of did the same thing. The, That's like the big instrumental. It's a big instrumental, the, yeah. The big closes the new epic. album. Exactly. So yeah, I used that all over because I figured it's kind of a cool technique to it, it punches out of the mix in a cool way. And so that was that. So this is a... Dude, that's a really great use of the old uh, message in a bottle chord. It is the message in the... I'm not even going to try to do it. I have, a, I have a great picture of me with uh, with Andy Summers where I'm holding... I happen to be holding a guitar and I'm doing that chord. I don't uh, think... He doesn't, he doesn't realize it. That you is know. an important... You know, guitar players love that chord. Just a cast away. Now that's a yeah. that's a good key down here and <laughs> it's a C lot guitar. easier to sing that song down. <laughs> just a cast away. So yeah, you're just doing upstrokes from the So yeah, I'm just doing like I'm basically third doing third string. I'm just doing a sweep arpeggio yeah. of like uh, an E I guess an E add nine chord, right? right? So it's a power chord with your pinky up there. 
So that's the idea, yeah. There we go again. Yeah. So did where where were we as far as listening to tracks? Listening is there to something the track? you okay, wanted so you to can, a show or so you'll hear something. So this is so stay, uh, still on Icarus. Speaking of Gene Hoagland, you'll hear that it's controlled, it's solid, and you know what I part of songwriting for me is just having enough contradictions in the song to keep your ear alive. Um, so ha- going from halftime to double time is something that. I will. I learned and worked in Thunder Horse, the song Thunder Horse, a long time ago, and it makes people's heads bob at certain times. So I wanted to have some kind of a breakdown where I use that idea of a riff, that kind of add nine thing, and so that's a halftime thing. And we go from that into the back. We're back at the head. We do that kind of nice, kind of what I call the never-ending story melody, and then we go right back and just like just fast, you know, just yeah. just like just like you know playing. That is very precise. Yeah, I don't. I hardly move my right hand at all when I do that stuff. So I gotta ask you, what's the pick? What's the pick? So this pick is the pick I've been using. This is my ah. baked with Steve Agee pick, um, but nice. it's a it's a Dunlop Altex 1.14, and this has been. I used to play jazz threes like a nerd, you know, like every like Eric Johnson, and John Petrucci, and all those guys. And then I and then Dunlop said, "Oh, hey, you like those jazz threes? You should try this Altex thing." And then I never, I couldn't play any other pick. I couldn't play a Fender medium because I was so used to that tiny little. Yeah, well, that's know? a normal size, like Fender size pick. It is. And but the way you were just choking up there on it, I, I was wondering if you had a jazz three or something in there. It was so hidden. I don't know, but I choke up on it, especially when I'm like. So that's part of metal. It's more like what I would consider the black metal kind of like. Yeah. And that thing, if I if I'm gonna do this right, you know. So I mean, but you have to lock in as hard as you can with Gene's drums because Gene's drums are perfect. His sixteenth notes will be spot on. People ask if we grid the stuff. No, we don't. He plays that well constantly. It's upsetting. It's annoying. Which means yeah. I got to play my guitars really well. I mean, I imagine he's playing to a click. He's keep, playing to a click. So you can move, in case you need to move sections around right. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, he is so yeah. tight. You're not actually doctoring anything or going in there and moving it around. Obviously. No, he's just. A, I mean, I reserve. A, I reserve the right to just later on to just yeah. destroy sections and rebuild from nothing. But go ahead, and I want to hear your. Gene I compliment. want to hear you to tell me more about this guy. I've never met him or seen him. I mean, I've seen a Death Clock, but I yes. haven't been up close to him. I saw him at the the Palladium, and okay. I was like yeah. 700 people back, but that was quite a show. You got the giant screen above you playing Metalocalypse cartoons, like <laughs> seeing like thousands of kids thrashing beneath a screen. It was with unbelievable. Big, with big, ridiculous smiles on their faces. That's the weird part, is that you've got all these kids who are like metal kids, and then some of them are like, it's funny, you know, I was, I, it's interesting to be able to see, you know, your whatever the show's demographic is. And it's people, I would look around the, you know, there'd be like a line outside around the block for these shows. And I'd go, who are these people? Who are they? Are they metal people? Are they what? And, I, and then I'd look and I'd go, Slayer shirt, Metallica shirt, South Park shirt. Okay. Wow. South Park. Okay, <laughs> Simpson shirt. Uh, all right, Mastodon shirt. Okay. But you just start to see like, oh, they're cartoon fans, they're metal fans. They're all the same person, as it turns out. They're people who like comedy and people who like metal, you know? Yeah. And the fun thing about doing all those shows is that we got to kind of really erase that line, which is like, well, is this funny? Isn't this funny? Is this epic and big? And we get to think just in those terms or, and then do we get to be funny again? It's really fun to be able to go back and forth. 
Um, but Gene is a guy I met when I started putting the first Death Clock record together ten years ago. I um. I was looking for a drummer because I was programming drums and doing it terribly on the first season of Metalocalypse. And if you listen to it, it just makes no sense. I'm trying to do double kicks and stuff. And I have a limited, I, I, before I discovered uh, Tune Track and Easy Drum and all that stuff, I had heard through one of the record labels that Gene was available because Strapping Young Lad uh, with, with Devin Townsend and all those guys, which is an amazing band and I really liked him a lot, I heard that he was available after that. So I thought. I talked to him. I said, do you have any interest in doing this? Uh, I'm even willing to pay you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe it? <laughs> no, he, uh, and he was, he was on board and he got it. And he, you know, he did the thing that a great musician does. Was he shows up prepared and he wants to make sure that his parts turn out good. He does not want to, he does not want to <laughs> mail anything. And he truly cares about everything he does. And on top of that, most of our conversations are not about chops, licks, or anything. They're about the the song. How do we get from this section to the next section? If I'm going at like you know a double time section and going into a half time section, what is the best transition? How do we go? So so the way I look at like fills are, they're almost like foreshadowing. Like in, to use a story term, they're foreshadowing the next section. So so if I'm going like da 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 you know double kicks and then I want to go do 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 gotta do da do do da and gotta do 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 so if I want to do that I want to make my fill or I want Gene to make his fill something that sets us up for that section you know so it's not it's a comfortable move into that halftime space so he'll go from and really fast he'll do a halftime fill that's like not as many notes to introduce us to the next section is there an example that you can think of off the new record i could fly in? i can't think of anything right now but i know uh i can't think of let me see i'll probably find something myself but you know when i yeah it may be in um it may be in even in this song in uh in uh but i know it did happen on the first record the first thing that comes to mind is the song on my way again there's a moment when we go into this We get into that section, which is almost like a kind of a reggae skank kind of sounding thing, but it doesn't sound that way on the I record. love that you use thirds in there, you know? I use, yeah. It's a, it's the one... Th- so a lot of people... It's funny, in heavy metal, people don't realize... Well, you do... Some of them do, but most of it is, you know, one, five power chords everywhere, and it's not yeah. always like big open ringing chords because it's just too many notes and too much information. So you got to like uh, pare down. So I like having the one, three, one power chord instead of like... Right. So I'll go. Yeah. Yeah. So whether it's a minor third or a major third, like the penultimate chord. Yes. Is a minor one, I believe. Yeah, like a D minor with one. Right. So yeah. I mean, I think you own this, Brendan. Like in terms of metal, like as far as he, redefining the power chord as something that could actually include a third is yeah. huge to me because I did the gig with you at the Roxy. That's when we right. Fucking performed. Galacticon one. We did that was a entirety. big. I know we did the whole record for a benefit for Berkeley College of Music, my alma mater, and you were with me. Mike was with us, or was it? Keneally was there, and uh, was Rick Masalem there for that? Rick Masalem. So we had. And, so that's a powerhouse yeah. of. I mean, subtracting guitars. myself, that's three guitar players that you want to go out and listen to. You and Mike and and Rick. Um, and that was that was really fun blending guitars because 
often, as you see, like I like layering guitars because, again, it's the Brian May schools. A chord sounds cool, but it sounds right. better if you go one note staying on the fifth and, and the other one knows. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we actually yeah. rehearsed and everything. Yeah, we rehearsed and everything. Remember, we were all sitting there hunched over our yeah. guitars, uh, figuring it out, <laughs> trying to figure out what I did at one point. Um, yeah, that was. Uh, but yeah, it's it really is dividing up the chords over almost like a horn section, you know. And that to me is what that sounds cool. I, standing in the middle of uh, you know. Yeah. Harmonized guitars on stage. That's the coolest place you could oh, be. I remember yeah. we did a Queen show with Bear McCreary and uh, Rick Masalam and Mike Keneally and Joe Travers and all these, you know, all the super, what I call the super musicians, guys that make me, you know, they're, they're so good I can drop my guitar and, and the song will, no one will notice. <laughs> but I remember we were doing all these classic brian may we figured out and transcribed all these great brian like good old-fashioned lover boy and all these cool contrapuntal interesting things and i just realized somewhere in the middle of this the show that i have without a doubt got the best seat in the house so i can hear his amp my amp and the other amp and when they're blended and we're playing fully distorted cool arrangements you know the single note things like the horn section yeah. and you're just sitting there you're resting half the it's time a, and you go beat it up deep yeah it's the ultimate surround sound. I mean, I got—I yeah. was lucky enough to do a gig once playing with the Oakland Symphony, which is a really actually oh, a great symphony. Yeah. Just to be surrounded by—I was in there, like in, yeah. the, in between the violas and the cellos. And yeah, so you're probably shirts vibrating a little bit, and you have it's like—it's just, just this, it's like an enchanted forest. You're hearing—you can hear every single player, and it's surrounding you in 360 degrees, and that's the. Th- feeling that we had even at rehearsal yeah oh yeah had, like of those four guitar parts is there a good example on the new record of the, this approach of playing of, the chord using four different guitars yes. or six guitars six guitars oh yeah there are there are many examples of many guitars i will i will say um i think i think the like ocean galactic has a lot of just big grandiose guitars and breaks and stuff like that Ocean Galactic has a lot of guitars, and it does like build into a big guitar section, and that's kind of like the more epic one, I, in my opinion, on this record. But that one, the Ocean Galactic, is the big, long, huge. Like I love these medium tempo rock songs that that this kind of not. They just no one does them really. I mean, AC/DC did it with for those about to rock. Um, Sign of the Southern Cross by Dio, uh, the Prophet song by Queen. Those are the things I'm kind of trying to chase constantly. So with Going to the Water or Black Fire Upon Us on different Death Clock records, or even, um, I'm trying to remember, there, there are a couple of them. Um, Crush the Industry kind of is that, but it's different. But it's it's just big, you know, a moment for big epic guitars to punch through and to hopefully elevate the song in some way. That song crushes. I love that song. and talking about about your new tune oceans mm. galactic and there's also yeah. the metal cows at the beginning <laughs> ocean ocean galactic yeah there is a, like a reminiscent sound me? that you'll hear at the top of that thing it really is kind of like is it an elephant or is it a cow <laughs> what is it yeah <laughs> metal moose a metal moo yeah you're going by a metal uh cow farm 
How did you track the or record those sounds of the intro of that song? Um, that thing is just me bending my guitar strings. Like just doing, just really just picking. And just using your volume knob. And then like bending as far as I can, and, and then finding like, and I did these little ping sounds like like harmonics, and I took a line six liquiflange. And I just broke them up. And then we EQ'd stuff like crazy and spread it around in like, you know, a nice cool. Like if you're in headphones, you hear them coming from different spots. And then all yeah. of a sudden you realize that rhythm is kind of being, it's, it's kind of slowly introducing a rhythm. And then the drums come in. And that song was fun because I got to do some cool stuff with the Helix as really? like a blended clean guitar. The line six Helix, folks. That's right, the old the old heel. Part of arranging this heavy metal stuff is I'm on full distortion, and that song is technically we we call these the ballads, so even though it's like full distortion, right. <laughs> um, and um, and uh, the whole thing is how do you make one section differentiate from the next? How do you just try to relieve? How do you make something not boring? Is kind of what I'm trying to go at. Is like you know well, that's what I'm trying to get at. Is how do you make something not I've listened to music, and sometimes when I hear new music, all I'm doing is looking at the timeline, going, "All right, we got more music here. Okay, I'm not that excited," you know. Right. Or it's dead on arrival, or you go like, "Yeah, I don't know if there's a song here or whatever it is." And whatever it is that I'm trying to do, I'm trying to mess up a lot of song form stuff on this record, but hopefully, the you know, it's forward motion interest, you know, where that you haven't gotten to the coolest part of the song yet, and when you get you there, hopefully, you want to rewind it and hear it again, you know. So you'll hear. listen the whole thing that's right sounds so beautiful why do we guitar players think that sounds so beautiful i know it's weird it's, <laughs> it's weird. like noise it's just weird sounds it well it sounds like angels and those kicks and jeans i mean they're just so di- this i think is the best sounding song on the record you know so you get the idea that's that song um the thing is, I think I think you're asking why those sounds sound interesting to you, like why those kind of warbly. I know what the answer is. I think, I think there's like something weird and tangled in your subconscious that sounds. I think there's a weird low hummy kind of thing that happens that draws us to kind of some stuff. I think it's there's a subconscious weird sound. I think when we were kids or babies or whatever it was, we could probably only hear muffled versions of you know, like whatever it is. And I think there's something about that. Wow. There's something like fetal and strange about that and you know Yeah, we're back in the primordial embryonic. I think so. Well if you soup. watch if exactly, but go listen, like go watch the new Twin Peaks and just listen to the sound design. Because David Lynch did all that stuff himself and he gets it because it's white noise. Most of like this most of the score is like white noise and just foreboding creepy weird stuff and it gets it's what i call the mind hook it's like a hook goes through your nostrils and pulls your brain forward and that's what he does and uh, it really is honestly it's like i'd say 90 percent of it working is sound design for him fascinating man wow that's my theory it's very interesting section yeah now you shred while i do this fill for me oh yeah fill for me well Maybe you know. some cool slappy stuff <laughs> i want to hear it I I'll, love be, it. I'll cut I, most of this out, but <laughs> Oh, don't. Don't. Leave it in. Uh, I need to go through it. Like that. 
so much fun on these guitars. What string gauges and what brand are these? Those strings are 13, so it's like 13 to 56 with a wound G. So you got to do a lot of your G bending, like away from yeah. the face. Um, and what company do you use? Oh, and that those are Dunlop heavy core strings. So I found that, you know, when you tune your guitar down, it just feels like you're playing a bunch of slack rubber bands. So if you're playing tens and you tune down the C standard. You have to just lighten up. It's almost like not playing guitar becomes less fun. And so I wanted like a similar tension to tens, tuned to standard. Yeah. So I eventually settled on thirteens with the wound G, and I just realized that as long as my bending, my you know, I don't always practice bending, and I realize it's the most yeah. important thing, and that's it's the thing that defines your guitar playing ultimately. And if if you hear like. You know, if you got three seconds of a guitar play, you'd probably be able to go from a bend. That's Hendrix. That's Brian May. That's yeah. Clapton. That's whoever it is. And so you're telling me, are these just standard tw- twenty-four and three-quarter Gibsons? Yeah, those are just Some... standard standard necks. Because I've I played baritone a bunch, but when we started jamming for the uh, Galacticon One performance, I right. was just so amazed that you could get them to feel so good without extending the scale of the guitar. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean I for think, the low shit. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I have a look over there. I've got that Buckethead Studio guitar, and that actually, you know, once you get around like tenth to <laughs> any position above it, it's really nice in the fingers because you've got all this space to play high notes. I'm just cracking up at his like, is that a kill switch, man? It looks like the That's button his, on a uh, Defender uh, arcade game or something. Exactly what it is. So I guess he wanted. Uh, video game buttons as as kill switches and he's got two of them and he does this crazy thing where he just, does like bounces around on both of them with open strings just hilarious so yeah what are you about to play so or? I'm gonna play this is just this is just me using the helix just to get some extra sounds just to get some swirly again I'm going for like subconscious in this like cool things that just tickle your ears I was just thinking about this whole record this whole record was produced I had never smoked pot in my whole life and and you call yourself metal? I know, and I hadn't. I mean, I did here and there, and I hated every time. There's this one time on tour where Brian Beller and I smoked pot. And we were just, we were. You'd never seen two nerds more miserable. We're like, when will this be over? <laughs> and some you guys like, pot, and we were not prepared for it. We should have like trained for it, but um, <laughs> we were just like out cold and terrified, like two scared kit, like kittens that were like. I looked over at Brian Beller at one point, and I I saw him, and he was like so stiff, and I just imagined him in a marching band outfit with like a big hat and all that, and a conductor's baton terrified like we're nerds we've been found out and um but since then all kinds of difference i now have like a medical marijuana card which because you can and uh for medical purposes obviously uh for my glaucoma um but uh no um but i've learned i've learned to love it and the one thing that really really is great when you're high is listening to music and listening to music in stereo and listening to music in stereo and headphones so this is the first record i ever mixed with that in mind so having little moments that just excite your ears so i don't know i don't know if i want to promote anything drug wise but if you do have glaucoma and you have a prescription for marijuana i suggest checking out the new galacticon record so this is um <laughs> this is a uh, um this is just a little touch of guitar wow yeah it's great I have a seventh chord I think it's the first seventh chord I've ever put in a song in this genre (laughs) 
Uh, my little Beatlesy doo uh, or the Jellyfish in my case, where I was thinking about them too. I was I was thinking about a lot of different bands making this record, but that's one of the just the little sounds that I made that was kind of fun with the um, Helix. And I'll show you another thing I did with Helix. This is from another song. This is kind of an exciting little moment. Whoa. That's a song by itself. That's great. Of course, we're hearing it right now just through the Zoom recorder. Yeah, just through the Zoom recorder. But, but um, it sounds so incredible. Yeah. So that's um, so that was me messing around with the with the Helix and the Boss Slicer pedal. Oh yeah, I have one of those. You have one of those. Um, Very few of us do. I know, but I that actually is... reviewed that for a guitar player, and the ultimate seal of approval if you review a piece of gear yeah. in a guitar magazine is that you actually buy it from the manufacturer. Yeah, no, I oh, want to wow. keep this. Yeah, I have that, and just, I mean, basically, I was just like, how do I make my guitar sound this, like as close, like this growly, you know, fuzzy, square wavy thing, and again, I'm doing the same Genesis thing where I have like, wall, wall, I have my low C, and then I'm playing like pedal chords on top of that, um, and I'm doing kind of like a little bit of a, oh, and I have it, I have it coming out in stereo from my Helix right back into my API stereo pair. And um, I layered like three things on top of that. And you can hear that there's like a whammy pedal inside of that. Just like you can hear the original yeah. fundamental sound combined with a, a sound that's going squeak, squawk, squeak at the very top of it. So you'll hear this. Yeah. So that kind of stuff that's wow. just like cool, squirrely, weird things that. And I put that kind of stuff all over the place. And what song? And I, it were deserted. Is that is a, a song. That is from the song "To Kill a God," and it's got this big breakdown section in it. But it's got so much stuff going on that you'll have to find that with your ears. That little thing. That's just like one thing that I kind of like mix away as I keep going because yeah. I have too many ideas. And I want you know, man, this is 2017. I want to release some stems and give it to some. Give it to maybe I do it. Yeah, Dead Mouse or something. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, give it to someone to chop. Well, up. you know who's got this is Flying Lotus. I was talking to him about doing some remix stuff. So he's yeah. got The Ocean Galactic, which I'll... is the song he liked. So, um, yeah, who knows? Maybe Sweet. we'll do it. Now, Everyone's speaking busy. of mixing, how does, I mean, I don't even know if this can answer this question, but how does one approach mixing a record like this? It has a million guitars. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is a good question. That's why I keep working with Ulrich Wild. So Ulrich I met, again, 10 years ago when I first started doing this stuff. He... Um, he was, I needed a guy that understood drums because I knew I was going to layer guitars and I was going to figure out everything as I went, but I did not understand how to mic record or do anything with drums. And he, and he did because he had worked on Pantera records. He'd worked on all these like white zombie records and he had gotten really powerful, punchy drum sounds. And I, I liked that. And, um, and he was really relaxed and I would throw a ton of stuff at him in a short amount of time and he was just really calm. He's a uh, Swiss, so he's like precision based. Um, he, uh, he runs on time. So uh, it's really, uh, so, he, so I keep every single record, I keep 
throwing more stuff. The first Galaxicon had a lot of stuff, and we spent a long time dialing in sounds for that one. And that's what you need is just a good amount of time mixing to kind of sit with stuff and make decisions. But um, after Galacticon, I did Death Album 3, where we didn't do as much stuff, because I had just done the first Galacticon. So Galacticon 3, though it's got a lot of overdubs, it doesn't have nearly as many as I did in earlier records. It was just more like, this is what a live Death Clock band would kind of sound like recorded. Then I went and did the Doomstar Requiem, which is a 50-piece orchestra and a whole, the whole band, and he had to mix all that stuff. And that's where the lunacy comes in, and I kind of back out of the room, and I go, good luck, buddy. Let me, yeah. know, how you, let me know how it goes. You know? I'll check back with you in a couple yeah. weeks. And you know, he'll have like the thousand-yard stare of like, Ugh, it's been like he's been through war. And I come back, and I go, yeah, well, I've got more notes. And he goes, okay. And he's just got a good attitude. So when I bring him this stuff, he has like a method of dealing with my stuff, like subgroups, submixes, all kinds of stuff. So... He calls these like the guitar orchestras that I will fade in, like I'll do these long fades into. A good example of this is the mixing at the end of the Ocean Galactic. It's stuff. just wall-to-wall ear candy from one side of the galaxy to the other. Let's play a little bit, just for a let's second. Play, yeah, let's play. What do you I, want to play? Just, I don't know anything. I can only hold guitars in my hand for so long without the noodling urge completely taking over it's amazing how quiet you are with a guitar in your hands it's uh, you're you're a very um professional guy i am i'm about to go do a camp by the time this comes out the camp will be done but that's what i'm going to deal with is like a whole room full of guitar people where i'm like uh, hey uh do you mind uh turning can you tune with your volume off um <laughs> yeah a whole week kinda, of that yeah i'm gonna have a week of that so here we go so how was the camp? <laughs> the camp was great. It was a real success. Everybody <laughs> turned out great. I haven't done it yet. But at the time... <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the idea of doing the camp, by the way, was um, yeah. I do a lot of... I'll go... Uh, Scott Ian and I have gone and done these band camps in Woodstock. And you get to hang out in Woodstock for a week, which is really great if you're not teaching band camp all week. So uh, our families <laughs> are really right. excited hanging out and Scott and I are like bedraggled and exhausted uh, waking up early and, and you know, uh, kind of, we're kind of like producers for these little bands. And so we've been doing yeah. this for a few years and it's really fun. The kids get a, a lot out of it and we get a, a lot out of it. And it's like, you know, 11 to 17 year olds. And sometimes, you know, there was a nine year old one year and there was, so they're kids, and, but they're excited. They showed up, they're tired. You got to get them to put their phones down and you got to get them to pay attention. And then you, they put the stuff you're talking about into practice in the room. So you can talk about like inversions, contradictions in songs, things like that. And then they show up with songs. They write songs. And at the end, we have like a little live performance and it's really fun. So this year, I felt like, you know, because I was talking about drums, guitar, and bass, and all that stuff, and vocals, I just wanted to do one where it was just guitar, and just talk about what I think is important about guitar, what's gotten, what I, what interested me in it, and what's gotten me to be a guy who plays guitar for a living. So that's kind of what the whole thing is. What I think is important as far as, like, recording, um, 
technique, some some modal stuff, some chord stuff, but things that uh, kind of keep coming up as I like the Dorian scale is used constantly. That should just yep. be the main mode you learn first. It's just always Dorian with guitar, or again, Dorian yep. is the blues, so you can just find that. And then finding like a couple positions that you can toggle between, then glue it all together with a little bit more fretboard knowledge. So that kind of stuff is, and I wanted to just put myself in a position of having to write all that stuff down, develop a curriculum, and then hopefully, you know, maybe put a book out at some point. It's yeah. something uh, where it'll be a funny guitar book, though. It's time. I mean, yeah. you're so good with getting into that stuff and you know whether it's tom quail or other you you're always like exploring I, I love that about you. i am exploring it's true um how yeah, is the go. gibson epiphone line doing now you've got the oh snow yeah Falcon i got the, I got the, the snow Falcon. The, the galacticon see i'm rebranding everything that's kind of if you haven't noticed i'm kind of in this rebranding kind of world of doing stuff mm-hmm. and uh so everything's Galacticon now, and I have this Snow Falcon Galacticon guitar that I actually used on the record. So it's the Epiphone, and it plays great right out of the box. That's my prototype sitting in front of you, facing away from you. And I used that on a song uh, called Nightmare, where I did this... There's this big, long, just huge guitar thing where it's vocals and guitar, like background vocals and background guitar. Just I had a whole melody and I had vocals on it. And I said, and I ripped it all away and I said, this is I think worth listening to right here. And so there's a whole section, and you'll hear this contrapuntal thing where I did my best Brian May, where I took a wah, I cocked it back, I didn't use any picking attack, and I did all these lines like and I did them all on one string each, so Wow So I was doing things like that um, Portamento style <laughs> It is totally Portamento style, yeah, it felt like, you know, like, yeah, a mono synth kind of a thing, and I have them really fanned out, and hard left and hard right and then there's sometimes they all join, they do a nice little triad in the middle Snow Falcon is obviously it's just, flying V. It's a flying V yeah. heritage. Yeah, it's a flying V with a white fretboard. Yeah, you can flip it around if you want. With uh, burst buckers, so it's just a classic Gibson to me. Oh, that's yeah, that's actually the Gibson version, but it's the same. The real okay, the actual one is right there up oh, there. there. But you yeah. know, you wouldn't know the difference. There's like there's so many of them. I'm surrounded. There are a lot of them here. I'm um, feeling kind of overwhelmed by a bunch of badass of, white guitars with white fretboards. There are a lot of black ones too. So. Yes. Um, just so you know. Um, yeah, so that song, I used that that Carvin Kiesel 8-string, and I used the Snow Falcon right there, and I got that uh, kind of... That was based off of... This is an old Bach invention. Totally. So, so that's what it goes through the fifth, the cycle of fifth. And I thought that's really cool. And if you slowed that down really and did it on a on an eight string, I bet it could sound pretty cool. And uh, it did sound pretty cool. So I did that. So it's a couple of notes different, or it's uh, it's I changed a lot of stuff, but for the most part, the intro is you'll hear it. Yeah, it's inspired. Let me show you what it is. You hear totally that. <laughs> yeah, but on an eight string, so yeah. That's so deep, man. Yeah, I know. That guitar has a good sound. That, 
carbon thing. Yeah, what's that model again? I That's mean, the DC eight hundred, and I um I did some clinics for carbon and. That's how they thanked me. They said, "Do you want a guitar? Do you want a, like one of those Holdsworth guitars?" And I love Alan Holdsworth, rest in peace. And um, I said, "Yeah, I'd like that." But you know what? I don't have is an eight string. I have plenty of six yeah. strings. I'm lousy with six strings. What I don't have is an eight string. And uh, and then Tosin from Animals as Leaders came over one day and further confused me about the wonders of the eight string. And uh, <laughs> yes. yeah, he's uh, he's got his own thing going. So he was showing me stuff. Eight string stuff, like again, like that thumping kind of stuff, like hammering yeah. on and thumping. And his whole take, and I said, you know, if I learn this, if I sit around and learn this stuff, I'm just gonna sound like you. And there's already you, and you're good, and I don't want to copy you. But we had a lot of fun playing guitar that day. Now, what's this guitar over here? Does that make it onto the this one? Um, this is my old. Okay, so you're looking at my. This is my Warmoth guitar. So this is an important guitar and my own personal history it's um it is the guitar that i had built by a guy named bill delap who is well known in the guitar world he actually built holdsworth's guitars from some of his baritone ones and some of his semi-hollow like really small the steinberger-y looking ones um and he was local he was not too far from where i lived in salinas when i grew up and so my buddy uh renzo and i who's a really, he's the guy who like taught me my first guitar chords he uh, and I took some guitars there, or parts, and he kind of just said, like, look, I go, can you build me a guitar? And I was 18, 17 or something. And he goes, yeah, what do you want? And I go, I have no idea. And I had uh, guitars with whammy bars. I said, I just want to make sure I don't have a whammy bar because I don't want to deal with that anymore, even though I think it's cool. I just want to be able to restring quickly. So um, so he goes, all right, all right, you trust me, I'll build something for you. So he built me this guitar with, like, a maple bird's eye maple top Great. and an ebony fretboard so it's got like kind of a nasally stratty quality but it also has a little bit of bite because of the humbucker so it's like it, strat strat style it's stratty style yeah but it's got like all the humbucker so but it sounds to me a little bit more stratty yeah. even though i've got all these seymour duncans has it always been so unfinished looking yes it has it's never been finished i remember when i got it my parents were like you got to paint that thing which is totally contrary to what I've learned later on, which what makes a guitar sound good is the amount of paint on it. So that guitar that's in your lap, which is a satin finish, Thunder Horse yep. Explorer, and that's the prototype they sent me that I said, yes, this is the one. That one sounds really good, and I remember being on tour one time, and all the Gibson folks came out to a Death Clock show in like Chattanooga, Tennessee. So they brought the bus over and all the luthiers and all those guys came and watched the show. And we hung out and had beer and everything afterwards. It was really cool to meet them um, because they do the coolest thing in the world. They build guitars for a living. So we hung out and then one of the head luthiers who built that guitar, um, I took him to my guitar stand. You know, looks kind of like that, but with just a lot of explorers. And I said, why do I keep coming back to this one, the one in your hands, instead of this one with all the lacquer on it like this and he said it's got less paint on it it's it's that's the thing so what do you know about that because i see that you're giving me a, a nod of i understand what you're talking about i will i i don't know i'm not a, definitely not a genius on the luthier front yeah. Luth, luthery whatever that word yeah, is luther the tv show lex luthery yeah. yeah but i i know what you mean it's like you might not notice right at the beginning but then as you get to know a guitar over a couple of weeks, it's like you always end up coming back to one thing, one yeah. guitar for one thing or one amp for one yeah. thing. These little subtle things. But I noticed, so even in these prototypes, so I'm sitting here with the prototype, this Gibson Night Horse prototype, I asked for it with less paint. And you'll see even that one, this is just like one coat of 
satin finish with and this is if you i don't know if you can tell but this is yeah. a charcoal black burst on so there's a burst it's very yeah. subtle it's hard I love to do these it. subtle bursts. it's like, like black on, on black yeah like on that one's got the, the silver thunder. burst on the white yeah but um but yeah so less paint is so now i take my guitar so even if you look at this one I'll take them, and uh, <laughs> the first thing I do when I get a, a new guitar is I void the warranty by <laughs> by uh, rubbing the paint off the, the the neck. Damn, you seriously? I don't mess around. Yeah, I right. mean these are prototypes, so I'm kind of. You can see I've got tape on this guitar because I'm gonna. I'm always experimenting and painting things and pu pulling off things, and I I do wire my own pickups. So I get the thing out. I get the soldering iron. I try to do all that stuff. Try to figure out why it works and how it works and all that stuff. So um, I've definitely destroyed a few things along the way, but um, but yeah, if you know the only way you're going to learn about guitar is by kind of taking apart and putting it back together and swapping out pickups and dis deciding for yourself why do these things sound the way they do? Do I like why do I like Alnico Five pickups? You know why is it uh, the Slash pickups make my Les Paul sound a little bit more smooth in some way? You know, but still has bite and stuff. So you start going through all that crazy stuff. Ten years ago. Before I did this stuff, I don't think I even played a tube amp. I had two guitars, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> I don't think I had like a strap lock or I had maybe a pedal in front of like, or I was just direct lining. You know, you've come a long way, man. Every time I see you, you've come. You're like, <laughs> I keep you're always I keep learning. Going. I gotta learn. You gotta learn, right? Yeah, but so yeah. many people once they get rolling, they kind of get into some kind of not necessarily cruise control, but they start doing this one thing that they're doing and right but you always seem like you're expanding constantly well i i don't think you got a choice if you're going to make music because ultimately it's not just guitar playing it's the song that's kind of the king so you gotta default to the song if the song isn't working and you're doing cool guitar stuff then you kind of gotta reevaluate and uproot um but uh the song the song's gotta work and then i noticed in the first death like 10 years ago I used all my Paul Gilbert, my Paul Gilbert licks in like one, in one solo, and I was like, "Well, now I'm out of licks. What do I do?" Because I had these prepared things that I've been preparing for decades, and I put, I got rid of all of them. Like I just exercised them all, and I thought, "Well, all I've got at this point is my sense of melody, and that's it." You know, like you've either got a sense of melody, and I'd rather hear a cool, memorable melody than a crazy guitar thing. And hopefully, you can kind of pair the two and have some cool, crazy guitar and have something that's worth remembering a melody that's worth remembering i'm with you on all that my yeah. friend i think the thing that i did with the record is um i kept it really simple guitar wise I'll, I'll talk about guitars for the for the new record i did use this prototype this night horse i used the snow horse prototypes i used my old guitar that you're using that's probably got the same strings that i recorded the record with because i i leave strings on when, when i'm done that's all these strings are dead because i went through them all you're the james jamerson of metal guitar exactly yeah um, but uh, I uh, went through all that stuff. So, um, but I I used this Marshall, this Blue Marshall, which is the Satriani JVM Marshall on the whole record, and I used this MXR pedal, this EVH pedal, which I plugged into one amp, but I didn't. It didn't really work with one amp. Then I plugged it into this Marshall, and all of a sudden I was like, well, this is cool. And I did all the demos with this, and everyone liked the sound of that. So I was like, I'll keep this. I'll just make all my rhythm guitars this. You know, so you're running that into the Marshall which channel? That's like one of those four channel. That's a four channel. It's JVMs. got more channels than I need. Um, but I used a clean. I used it right in front of a clean channel. So it was like the clean channel, the top right one, and I had it on. Again, yeah. 
I'll tell you, I got to, through Metalocalypse, I got to meet all my, and be friends, some of my guitar heroes, some of which are Steve Vai and Satriani. And a lot of the stuff that I have here is basically because I called Satriani or I went over to Steve Vai's house and I bothered them about questions. So I went over to Steve Vai's house one day and I said, can I just take pictures of your signal chain? Because I want to, there's no reason, I've got all the stuff you've got. I can't play like you can play, but there should be a reason that I should get a, a nice guitar sound. And so I spent a while bothering him, and then Satriani sent me a video. So they both landed on the APIs and the BAE audio, um, like channel strips. Yep. So I got stereo pairs of those. Um, microphones, I think the 421 that Steve Vai loaned me is still in. I don't know if he remembers that he loaned it to me. Because I was just asking them, like, what do you do? What do you blend? How do you do this? And they said, uh, yeah, 57 and 421. The Sennheiser 421, yeah. and I think it's the one that kind of picks up more of the bassier tones. Well, the the 57 alone will just do everything you want it to do. It's just, for some reason, you know, that's part of the EQ signal. I mean, the amp, that microphone changes your amp sound in a way that's comfortable for the ears. So it does add an EQ curve to it. And if you put the 421, that adds an EQ. And I do have a... Royer 121. I don't use it as much. I just find that I dial that sound out a little bit more. And I blend it into that little mixer that you can see on top of my little lunchbox cabinet for the APIs up there with the blue lights um, that Ulrich Wilde loaned me. And I don't know if he knows that I still have it, but I have it. <laughs> so people have loaned me stuff. I'm sure I have stuff that's gone out and will never return. But, um, but they helped me out a great deal. In fact, there's a Palmer cabinet simulator that Joe Satriani, I, I was recording... I think I had finished the second Death Clock record, and I had probably, that's probably where I met you, was probably around the time where we did a guitar... Guitar Superstar. Guitar Superstar. Guitar Player Magazine, there were a bunch of people who came out and competed in guitar, which I, which is how I kind of learned everything that I was ever going to learn in my life, my guitar competition when I was 15 years old. I can get into that story later on, <laughs> but it's really kind of the story that probably made me who I am, just abject couldn't be more of a failure that guitar disaster I was a disastrous event of me playing competing guitar <laughs> just a wrecked nerves just so okay I will tell you this story okay so this is it I'm 15 my buddy Renzo who is now first of all back up what inspired you to start playing in the first place since we're here just quick two cent backstory. all right I don't know exactly what got me into guitar, but I knew that I always liked looking at them, and I always, I just wanted one. I couldn't, I, you know, watching MTV or, I don't remember what it was, but it's just that strange attraction that guitars are really cool, and I wanted to have one. So when I was 11 years old, I mowed lawns for summer and got a Toys R Us guitar. I, you know, this is something about guitar, like parents who don't want their kids playing music. If you want an expensive thing, you're going to find a way to earn money to make it. You learn something about responsibility. You learn something about financial responsibility. And guitar teaches you all kinds of stuff like that, that you have to be financially responsible. You have to learn how to – you have to get a job. You have to be a member of society. You have to kind of be part of America. You have to do all that stuff. So I mowed lawns and bought an $84 guitar from Toys R Us that had a built-in speaker. And I couldn't believe it. When I saw it, I was like, they put a speaker inside a guitar. It's the <laughs> ultimate invention. Invention, And um, the guitar wasn't so great, as it turns out. The action was super high. It was, I think it may have been made of particle board or whatever the body was. And it just sounded like crap. And it just, so it remained there. And I got some strings. I didn't know. I gave up really quickly. Then How I saw, old were you there? I was probably 12 or 11. And then a couple years passed. And... Luckily, if I hadn't met this friend, I again, it would have changed my life. But 
my friend Renzo Stiano, who's my neighbor back in Salinas, and who he and I, like, you know, once a month, we'll still get on the phone and talk about pedals and amps and what what are you playing now what's going on what are you running through like what it, we get into gear nerd stuff and we'll send each other clips of things we're just dorks you know yeah. but we would sit around he was a funny guy and he and i would sit around and um like goof off and, and but then i found out he played guitar and he said come over to my house i'll show you how to play and i go you it's impossible regular people can't play guitar this is something that's reserved for the gods i'm not a <laughs> god look at you you're no god or a couple of idiots in the middle of a shitty town. So he met me after school, and I remember, I'll always remember he had like a Kramer Strat thing, and he had uh, a little pig nose amp, like one of those little, it wasn't pig nose, it had some kind of like little miniature Marshall kind of thing, battery powered, on his belt, and he walked down his hill where he lived up on a big hill. And he met me, and he was playing guitar, and my jaw dropped. I couldn't believe he was playing it. He was playing power chords, and then he would do stuff where he would just go squiggly, squaggly, squiggly, and just like make a mess of notes. But it sounded like, right. sound like, it sounded like a Slayer solo or something like that. And I was like, whatever is happening here, I'm blown away with. <laughs> I could, I've never been more wrong. I can't believe that you can do this. And so, we went to his house, and he pulled out a second guitar, and he showed me that day. He showed me. Oh, wait for it. It's gonna be worth it. <laughs> Come on, baby. Why you gotta be like Computer this? wakes up. It's a modern know. age. Yeah, gotta wake up our computer wake to up. get our sound. Wake up, jerk. Time to do something. So, oh man, then I gotta... Oh, this is... This is... Oh, you're killing me. Oh. Oh. What a pain in the ass just to get a thing. It's a bad angle. I'm like, my head's turned around backwards. Um, but uh, here's what he taught me. It was just like... I couldn't believe it. So, so he's taught me just like a shuffle, and I, I was playing music with the open string, just two fingers. And he taught me this, and I hadn't even listened to the song yet. A little bit probably as yeah. out of tune as it was then as it is now. Oh, man, I always get thrills just going back to those days in my mind myself just hearing that but yeah I'm with yeah you. but I, I so in that day he taught me those two things he taught me the shuffle he taught me the um, he just taught me the power chord shape and he said this is this is movable it's a mobile thing and that was a good exercise just to get my whole hand moving around the fretboard and just to use what would eventually be part of what makes us guitar players is shape remembering visual understanding of the of the fretboard so he did that and then also he played me he made me a mixtape of what was going on in metal and i was i had was excited because i bought guns and roses and def leopards hysteria so i was excited that i was starting to get into heavier music but he's like well okay that stuff's cool it's not bad but this is metallica this is slayer this is king diamond this is black sabbath this is uh this is blue oyster cult this is um jethro tull so he had eclectic taste for like i think he was I was probably 14 and he was 15, but he had the better music library of pretty much anyone I would ever know. What a bro. I know. And he had a big brother that probably showed him a couple of things, but I had a big sister and she was listening to the radio, not listening to cool stuff. So I didn't, I was on my own and luckily I met Renzo and he, in that day, showed me stuff. And then what started happening was a very, like a competitive nature between the two of us. So I started getting into it once. Then he's the one that got me a Satriani record. He got me Surfing with the Alien. And then I was like, I'm done for it. This is, I can't believe this uh, person can make these sounds. It sounds like he's f- from outer space. How does this happen? And he had such melodic, evocative, um, you know, like, it's almost like film score. Like he has a, 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 
he has a a way of describing a song through a title that makes yeah. us think like there's an event happening. Something's going on that he's dictating or he's he's it's some kind of musical historical event that's happening in these songs and I don't know what it is through vibrations I'm trying to translate this stuff so that's how all guitar started and so Renzo and I would continue to be guitar buddies and go on to music school together and um, and have you know different but you know creative musical lives so one day we go to our local guitar store and uh, Gadsby's Music in Salinas, California, and the desolate op- oppression of of Salinas, which is very much like a Steinbeck novel. Um, and um, and we saw that there was a poster on the wall that said, guitar competition, win this guitar. We both had guitars. At that point, I had my first guitar, which I saved up for, too, which was my uh, Gibson Epiphone Spotlight, which looked like kind of a PRS, a double cutaway, which is what happens when you cut a Les Paul. It turns into a PRS. But it, was, but it was a Gibson Epiphone. It had EMG passive pickups and a Steinberger tremolo on it. And this is my first guitar. And luckily, you could lock it into place. Because right. the first thing I did, it came with a whammy bar and a tiny little, like, one of those, like, like human hair thin Allen wrenches that immediately I stripped the very first moment I wow. tried to tighten it. I just went yeah. strip, strip, strip. That's unusable. All right. You're not playing with a whammy <laughs> bar. Fair enough. Um, so... I had that guitar. Renzo had uh, BC Rich Warlock, I believe, at the time. And he was into metal and he was into Slayer and all that stuff. But um, I had uh, my guitar. So so we had like two weeks. He's like, let's join this thing. We can win this guitar. And it's this Yamaha Pearl Essence guitar that was probably not as good as our guitars. It was probably like $150 guitar where we probably spent $400, $500 for our guitars. Yeah. And we're like, we got to win a guitar because why wouldn't you ever... This is the thing with all guitar players. Why wouldn't you have another guitar? Yeah. And if we do it right, we can win. And I remember Renzo going, because he knew that I wasn't as good as him. And I knew that he was kind of like, you should definitely... He was trying to talk me into it without even like anything else. He was just like, you got to do this was he with getting, me. Was, yeah, with him. And I thought, maybe maybe you know that if we do this together, you won't come in last place. And I will. <laughs> but I accept your challenge. And who knows? Maybe I am good enough to compete professionally. And I was 15 at this time, so... So I, I started playing 14, I think. 15, I did this competition, and um, I was a bad student, so I was sent to an all-boys school in Salinas, and all I did was just practice guitar for those next couple weeks. And that's when I started really kind of getting into, there's a good reason this isn't sounding the way I want it to. And I, start, and I would wake up at 5 in the morning, practice guitar before school, come back, practice a couple hours, take a nap, and then play guitar until maybe one or two in the morning and, and just wow. have very little sleep, take these sporadic naps, go to school because I had to and just take this thing as seriously as possible. And I had, so the, the rules of the competition were that I had to play a three to five minute long song piece, original, that, um, that encapsulates uh, technique, musicality, and showmanship. And I was like, showmanship? I'm a knee-knocking dork. I'm not going to try to like go, eh, are you folks ready to rock? And I'm not going to do any <laughs> of that stuff. I'm just going to quietly play my guitar and play wonderfully. And I visualized it and I did all this stuff. But uh, the day of the, of the competition was coming and, and I wasn't really nervous. It was interesting. I was like, this is going to happen. It's going to be fine. And then as I got closer and closer, I started getting even more nervous. And there was this thing where we had to wait outside. So this competition takes place at a bar, a smoke-filled bar in the middle of yeah. shit-kicker Salinas, California with a bunch of uh, 
you know, locals there who are just hanging out, getting trashed on a whatever a Tuesday night, and then I'm 15, and I'm you know, these are men, and I'm a child, and um, so that was terrifying. And they're making you wait outside. They're making you wait age. outside. I'm like, yeah, and it's like October or something, and, I, and I'm freezing. It's like one of those cold San Francisco nights. So my guitar neck, I'm watching it slowly bend, and the strings are slowly <laughs> buckling, and. Um, and the th- an interesting thing is happening. There are a bunch of guitars, and there are all these kids we never met from different parts of Salinas and the outlying areas. And uh, I'm listening to them play through the glass, you know, through the, and they're playing terribly. And I'm like, whoa, okay, they're playing terribly. I wonder why they're playing terribly. Maybe they're terrible guitar players. And then I thought, no, or maybe they're nervous, like I am. And I realized I'm nervous. And then I got on stage, like, finally called my name. Ladies and gentlemen, Brendan Smalley, he's been playing guitar for a year and a half, and his influence are Joe Satriani and Eddie Van Halen. Here he comes to the stage. And I get up on stage, and the guy says, what do you want for a sound? And there's a Marshall full stack in front of me. <laughs> and I'd never played in front into a Marshall full stack. I'd Whoa. only played in my crappy little solid state amp, which is between zero and one, because I got a brother on one side of the wall and a sister on the other, and I gotta, um, <laughs> I gotta play quietly. So I've never even played at full volume on my amp, so I have no idea what that's gonna be like. And just another thing, just going, hey, dude, you're gonna, this is not, uh, this is worth being nervous over. And the guy <laughs> plugs me in and he goes, what do you want for a sound? And I go, I don't know, distortion, reverb. And he's like, got it. And so he plugs me in and he turns me up for like five or six. And uh, he goes, you may want to tune while the DJs, they're like local DJs kind of vamping with the audience. And I realize I go to tune my guitar and I try to, I'm shaking so badly. My hand is like shaking, like <laughs> Parkinson's, you know, shaking where I go to, 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 to tune oh, my man. guitar and I'm, I, I missed it. I missed the tuner. I'm shaking so badly. And I'm like, uh oh. And I realize like lactic acid is building my body. And I, I had no idea, no idea how how terrified I, I was I was like in fight or flight mode before the thing started I was terrified and I remember my parents were like can we come and check this out and I said no this is not for you this is something I gotta do on my own <laughs> and so uh, my sister came because she had cheerleader friends and I was like they can come but um so there I am I'm about to play and I finally start and they go legend here he comes Brent Ismo. and I play and I finally got my guitar in close enough tune and I am just it, playing the worst guitar, it was like I may as well have shown up drunk. I was playing because I probably I would have at least been relaxed. But <laughs> but I cannot play guitar oh, drunk. I cannot play guitar drunk, which is why I compare this to that. I could not play. I was just missing the guitar. I was editing the pieces I wanted. And I was like, okay, here comes the big climax. That's not happening either. Good night. And I I just remembered at some point I was just I want the video. Yeah, I know there there may be one somewhere, but it's really it probably doesn't. It probably doesn't right. look that bad. It probably looks like a kid trying to grow his hair out with stupid braces who's just imploding, but you wouldn't be able to tell on the outside. And it was just, and it was horrible. I did terribly. I did terribly. And um, my buddy Renzo, he did the same competition, and he went on after me. And it was funny because we were all, we just sounded terrible. It sounded like, sounded like, uh, it sounded terrible. It sounded terrible. Um, but, um, he decided my friend Renzo decides to go the other way and he decides to play acoustic so he's got his like low grade like ovation that he's got with the rounded back and all that stuff and he <laughs> and this is funny because he didn't bring a strap and he was going to sit down and play and he had like a little metal folding chair and they mic'd his 
his guitar and everything and i remember hearing him and he did not do so hot either he had some kind of like <laughs> dreamboat annie kind of like intro to crazy on you kind of acoustic kind of thing boom a little licks and playing that was a cool when he was playing it by himself but he his nerves got the best of him too so when he because because what was happening was he was playing guitar and he his knee was bouncing like this and it was like hitting guitar. him in the chin and it was sliding around because it's got that that tortoise back of the guitar so he was a total disaster as well we sucked so badly and he drove us home because he had his license and i did and so he drove us in a shitty camaro home through salinas and it takes like 20 minutes to get anywhere we finally get home we didn't say anything to each other we just kind of i just kind of closed the door and i went and he went, Ugh. like, all we have been doing is telling people that we play guitar at high school and all this crap. Yeah. We've been telling everybody. So everyone's like, oh, you're a guitar player, huh? Oh, nice work. We sucked. We seemed <laughs> like did, we were idiots. What did your sister think of it? My sister, at one point in the friends. middle of this thing, this is like my out-of-body experience that happened. I remember, like, it's almost like a movie, the way that I remember it. Is that it was, it, it kind of, like, fades to there's a light on me and there's a light on her table with her friends. And just her looking at me going, like, what's happening? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and man. that's that's how I remember it. So we get home. I finally get home. My parents are in bed, so I got to go and, like, this is what we, I do. I go, Mom, Dad, I'm home. I have to, like, yeah. check on Mom, Dad, I'm like, all right, goodbye. Good night, because they're asleep right. already. They're like, "How is the how is the thing?" And I go, "It was, it was good." Because <laughs> I don't even want to get into it. Because oh, I was yeah. just like, "I that's have failed." An, that's an important skill, right there. To act like to just to be positive. Be po- Well, I well, the truth was that I don't think I was being positive. <laughs> I think I know how to do that now. But at the time, I was dying a thousand deaths, and I was not positive. I was like, "This is the end of the guitar career for me." I'm 15 years old. I gave it a shot, and I I took my guitar. I, threw it on my bed I flipped open the case and I looked at it and I looked at my stupid hands and I said I said to myself what happened out there guys <laughs> how did that how did we let that horrible horrible paralyzing just just the worst thing that could possibly happen to me at this age how could that possibly have happened and and I was ready to close my guitar and kick it under my bed and forget about it and I thought okay before I do that before I do that did anything anything positive happen at all is there anything that that happened and i thought well okay in these last two weeks i've probably solved a lot of problems on guitar that i that it took me a year and a half to solve but in these two weeks i got smarter about my guitar playing so that's something that's good and i figure the thing that i didn't expect okay if i were to really analyze this the thing that i didn't expect was that i was going to get nervous and I realized that there's some nervous gene inside of me. And my, I see my sister's got it, and I see my brother's got it too. And if everything I want to do involves me getting over this nervous thing. And if I can do that, I could probably do a lot of things that I want to do. So, okay, that'll come and go. But let's just say at my absolute most relaxed, I can play my guitar. I know that. That's not how I sound. That's not how I sound. That was a that was a terrible like it was just like it was just a culmination of the worst possible things where again people are like like rolling their eyes. Oh, this guy, huh? Oh, he says he plays guitar. That's all he talks about at school. But there he is. You know, our peers were there, everybody. Uh-huh. And um so so that's that so I said, "Okay. Okay. I feel like t- total shit right now, but that last thing I just said kind of makes me feel better is that I've gotten better at guitar. I know I have in these last two weeks because I took that regimen was very serious. I realized that if I put the hours in, I, I see results. I'll have to work towards being better in front of people. That's going to be a long time coming. But I also knew that if I'd get up at, and read a book report or something, I would be shaking like a leaf too. There's something that was 
some kind of weird screwy thing wrong with my brain where I was just not confident, you know? So, yeah. So, so yeah, so I decided, okay, I'm going to give this a year. I'm not going to give it a week. I'm not going to give it a month or a day. I'm going to give it one year from now. And I'm going to track my playing. If there's another competition, I'm going to join it. And I'm going to do better than I did tonight. And maybe I'll win it. Maybe I'll do something. And so I did. I kept up that regimen for a year. And I said, okay, no matter what. I may, look, I may turn up bleary-eyed at school. I may not, you know, I'm going to take the guitar as seriously as possible. And so, so for that next year, I came back. I, there was another guitar competition in a different place. And I joined it. And... Um, Dude, way to face the dragon a second I, yeah, time. Yeah, I did, yeah. And I did not win. <laughs> I didn't win. Um, I didn't even place. But one guy, and by that time, I had like gotten my sweep arpeggios together, and I was doing... Yeah. I was doing all these sweep arpeggios, just like, seriously, like, non-stop sweep. <laughs> like someone was like, it sounded like a uh, turkey what gobble. What were they? What were you... Yeah, I think I was just doing like a... Like a... I was just doing like... So I was doing like these major things that were like you know just dude that's pretty impressive. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like it. Yeah, but um, it but they were just uh, <laughs> just that that I, I guess you'd call it the C shape. And what was your big lick from your very first disastrous competition? I don't remember. I think I was trying to do like a groove. Of, <laughs> I was doing. The, I was trying to do like stuff yeah. like that, and it just wasn't happening. And it, um, but it was like a groove thing, and then. And then I think I tried to slow it down and do like a yeah. weird like mystical thing. I was just trying to do Satriani stuff and I didn't have the I didn't have I didn't have anything ready, really. But I, I thought it sounded cool and anyway. So as right. I'm leaving, the, the the second show that I also didn't win, um, right. or place, um, one guy came up to me afterwards and he was around my age and he goes, Dude, you got robbed. And I was like, that's it. That's that's what I was looking for. That's all yes. I needed. Okay, yeah. okay. I, I was like, I, re, I restructured my whole uh, importance hierarchy. And I was like, one dude in the audience thinks I'm a good guitar player. It's a it's a recipe for disaster if only one person likes your stuff from night to night. But that was enough. And that, to me, was like, honestly, if that kid, if he's still out there, he probably has no idea. But I'm glad he said that because that was something that I needed to hear desperately, you know, as a teenager. So that's that story. Um, but it really made me realize that, oh, failure is uh, required for this business. You must be able to fail, and you must be able to pull yourself out of failure because you're gonna fa- every time you try to do something, there's a danger of failing. And if you take the pressure off failing, go fuck it. There's gonna be a tomorrow, and there's gonna be a day after that, and then I can do anything I want. So, if you're watching me fail, then you got to see a work in progress. Good for you, you know. But that's this is what I'm doing. I'm I'm here putting myself at risk and there's a possibility of failure every time and I'm going to come out clean the other end so fuck everybody you know so that was kind of the idea and that definitely taught me a lot and it would take me years still to get comfortable in front of people and thank god stand up was the thing that got me going like all right oh oh I'm I'm, I don't have to bring a guitar up here all my nerves kind of went away and I could talk and move and breathe because when you're playing guitar you're working like Wait, so you were less nervous without the guitar? Well, it took it took a few years, but I also, if you say something and it's funny and the audience laughs, then I was like, oh, I'm in control. Now, do you remember your first stand-up? What was I that do. like? Were well, you terrified? I, yeah, I mean, I did like one little stand-up set at Berklee College of Music once, 
and oh, um, it wasn't really good. It was like, it, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be perfect. You should yeah. you should have to struggle and fight for it. And and again, have your own sense of taste. And or, would my favorite comedians do something like this? No, that's a shitty joke or that's a hacky joke or whatever it is. The people that I love should be, you know, they hold themselves in high regard and they actually uh, challenge themselves to be good. Like I think about Seinfeld and his... his um, his joke telling style and his craftsmanship and how hard he works something out before he gets it to where it needs to go. So, so at the top, you're not doing that. You just need to have enough jokes to get on stage and start the process. So, um, but, uh, but what happens was when I was really first did in a comedy club, it was at a place called the comedy studio in Harvard square in, uh, Cambridge, you know, on the other side of the, the, the river of the Charles river in Boston. Cause I spent all my time in Boston and then, uh, music school and then I pretty much moved over the river and said I'm just going to do this comedy thing I'd studied comedy at school at Emerson College while I was at Berkeley College of Music I was taking writing for TV classes while I was studying guitar wow. and I was taking um, sketch writing and writing uh, and I had to have like a, I had a Seinfeld spec script when I was like 20 years old so um, so all that stuff was good and then I finally got myself on stage and performed and the way that the comedy club host this guy rick jenkins who's also a big part of my life who gave me the stage time so that's the only way guitar you practice by yourself and you show everybody one day and they go wow comedy you practice in person so you got to practice on stage and get good on stage and you just got to log the hours and go through all the trials and tribulations of getting a laugh not getting a laugh trying something new failing all that stuff so again it's your job to fail um, and the audience can smell fear on. They certainly can, <laughs> and I remember being there. So, oh, so the first night you go up on stage and you do stand up. Uh, Rick Jenkins, again, a great friend who definitely was a big part of me getting into show business and all that stuff. Um, he does this great thing where he, they would have a thing called sacrificing virgins, where you, they'd get like, you know, five to ten comics that are doing comedy for their first time, and what you do is you just That's like great man. Yeah, well, what I did was it's almost like if you're quitting smoking, you just put an X on the on the calendar. And go, whatever happens that day, I quit. Or in this case, I put an X on the calendar. And that's the day, no matter come rain or shine, I'm gonna have to do five to seven minutes of stand up in front of a real comedy club audience who's wow. been listening to jokes and understands how this works. Not just a bunch of parents who are like being nice, real people. But uh, the truth is, when you have your sacrificing virgin night, the audience is really understanding. And he sets it up in a way where um, it says, these guys are going to, this is something he, Rick Jenkins says all the time. He goes, you may forget this show, but these comics are going to remember what happens here the rest of their night. This could be the major source the of trauma of for life. them. <laughs> yeah, for the rest of their lives, yeah. Um, so that that's what would happen. You'd go up there, and you do well. And that's what happens. You do well. The second night of stand-up, so I did stand up like another two weeks later, and that's when you become a stand up comedian. Where um, you're on your own, then you're on your own. You don't get the preamble. You don't get the like, hey, be take it easy. This, guy, this poor guy is terrified. Be yeah. nice. You don't get that once you're. And then yeah. I remember watching people, and I'd see uh, comedians who I thought were really great and relaxed and could think in the moment, you know. And I thought that's where I, I want to aspire to be: is be so comfortable that I can think in the moment. And be able to acknowledge the room, and if something like bob and weave with the audience, oh, somebody you're throws great something that, at me, <laughs> it's fun to do it. But um, the shit you came up with at the guitar superstar competitions that we did, where oh, it's, you yeah. know, it's like you're like Simon Cowell afterwards, and you're but you know you're you're Brennan, you're your own personality, right. but you're coming up with spontaneous. 
comments. Well, that was fun because you got you know everyone was uh, you were in the band. I remember that's the first I was time a I house met you. band. You were yeah. in the house band, but yeah. Yeah. that's right. And you guys had a lot of chart work to do and a lot of very specific moments and a lot of you know stop time things. And so that was a pretty amazing. I remember everyone would go like after each guitarist would come up and they were all great. They're and they're doing stuff again. Oh yeah. That is you know I understand. Look, when we're guitar players are especially when you're doing something that's just showcasing guitar, you got to realize that we're working in millimeters. You know, like again, like if I'm like conserving motion and stuff, I'm working in millimeters. If I'm slightly off, the whole thing's off. And yeah. the question is, like professional guitarists, everyone's gonna make mistakes, no matter what. We're gonna make mistakes. The question is, how quickly can you recover? So the mistake never even happens. Doesn't even register. You know. How quickly can you go, I've done the wrong thing, and here we go. I'm back in it. I got back in the groove immediately. And I'm sure that you've had so many moments where it doesn't even oh, occur yeah. to you. You just get right back into it. So it's not even a mistake. You just cover it quicker, and that's that's a seasoned guitar player. So I've learned that over the years. You don't just stop and put your hands on your hips and furrow your brow. you gotta keep, yeah. you got to keep going. But those guys were playing in, insane stuff. My job was, I realized I was probably there with Steve Vai and Satriani, maybe Nuno Betancourt, all these guys... You know, Richie Cotton. He wasn't there the night that I did oh. it, but uh, I thought you did it twice. I did it twice in so, two different yeah, occasions, but I missed. People were talking about how Richie Cotton was there the year before. Who's that guy's a monster guitar oh, yeah. player? Elliot too. Easton was here. Elliot Easton was there. Yeah, and Steve Lukather was there for Luke one of the Day. years. Yeah, so I got to sit in the table and listen to you know mm-hmm. Steve Lukather and Elliot Easton talk about Paul McCartney all night. You know, they're all yeah Beatle nerds. You know, but. Uh, all that stuff is the coolest thing in the world to be involved in that was just can you I mean think about it you got like Satriani and Elliot East and all these guys who made some of the best music and play yeah. some of the best guitar some of the most memorable stuff talk about nerve I, I really my heart went out to every one of those contestants and they all did really well but they did really well imagine they, some of them maybe hadn't even done that many gigs to go up there in front of a crowded ass miniature totally theater huge crowd a panel of judges yes with you and Satch and Luke at their yeah forget about it. no one is like who's that guy yeah he makes hey. cartoons but they were like I would never want to play right now on my best day like if I'd warmed up for three hours before I don't want to play guitar in front of Steve Vai or Joe Satriani <laughs> oh I did a show I did a show with them um yeah. This is another thing where I'm like, you know what? You never beat the nervous thing. You just have to kind of corral it and hopefully use it to its advantage. Like use it as excitement. Use it as something that's going to try to turn it into something positive. But maybe like a year ago, a year and change, um, there was a big benefit that Joe was nice enough to include me on out here for a cliff called Trary, right? Am I saying that right? Anyway, benefit for Cliff, one of Joe's producers. Oh right, right, right. So um, I'm so I was asked to not only play guitar but sing a song at the end of the night because they had Tosin from Animals as Leaders, they had Vi and Joe and Keneally's playing with and Beller's playing with Joe and Marco Miniman's playing with Joe, and we did a sound check and I brought a pedal board and I brought some stuff and they're like ah oh, let's keep it clean you're just gonna have like a delay in the effects loop and you'll play one of my Marshalls and I'm like I'm familiar with the Marshall. And Joe likes to turn it up to like way beyond the volume. My whole thing is because I'm singing most of the time on Death Clock, I keep my stage volume pretty quiet. Anyway, he had it super loud. I had a guitar. Usually I'm very familiar with using a volume pedal to just squash notes and squash feedback and all that stuff. I didn't have one. I had probably this white guitar here and the volume knob. And in rehearsal, 
I played terribly. I played terribly. Where I was like, guys, don't kick me off the show. This is how. This is my process. <laughs> I play terribly. I get all the kinks out. I find out where all the the problems are going to occur, and I think about it and I make sure it doesn't. And then live, I manage to get through the show, and not only that, get through the show okay, you know, competently. But uh, I told Joe, who was like right next to my amp, I'm like, dude. I will play better than this tonight. I am just uh, kind of <laughs> getting the lay of the land, and I'm also I'm also terrified right now. So by the end of the night, uh, and then the whole thing is, all these guys are playing all night. So even in your own set, you get kind of an opportunity to kind of loosen up and relax. And I know what it's like to play and then go out and jump on stage again and play with other people. I didn't have any of that stuff, so they're all warmed up and they're all the best guitar players on the planet. And I was sitting there just running scales and running vocal scales and guitar scales upstairs. And they wanted me to, they were ready for me to be on stage, which is like, you know, the, the fifth hour of the show. Yeah. And um, I remember uh, I'm just walking around, I'm just playing, on, and I have like a little amp I'm hooked up to. And I start to hear something that sounds like my name, and I realize they're, and I've got to like go down all these like stairs, yeah. and I got to run. And they finally, I realized they were calling my name for like five minutes to get on oh, stage. Man. And I finally got on, and we played, and it was fun, it was great. <laughs> Oh man, like that a, was that's like one of those. That's, that's like a some, nightmare. Yeah, I was, was like gonna say we musicians have that dream where like, oh my god, yeah. I'm late for the state or the yeah. gig or downbeat was two minutes ago. Exactly, and I can't it's, get there. And it's a high, and I gotta sing like a song, and I gotta do all this stuff. <laughs> oh man, that was like the most. I walked away going like, I think I probably aged five years on that all stage right. tonight. I was so terrified, but it ended up sounding good, and I know that I'll get through it out the other end. And then I. You know, I relax and go to sleep, and it's, you know, it's... Then I do it again another night. Oh, there's, you know, the, the next comic isn't here. Fill for 20 minutes, and you got to do it with stand-up, and you got to do all kinds of things that make you, uh, you know, fight or flight kicks in, and you hopefully just manage to calm all the voices in your head down and find the goal, which is in comedy, I can make it really simple. Like, no matter what's happening, no matter how much the comedian before me is crushing or doing whatever I have to remind myself and if I forget to remind myself of this one little thing then I blow it but if I do remember it then I win every single time which is that it's my job to have fun on stage it's my job to appear as if I'm having fun if I do have fun comedy is like playing guitar (laughs) with a zero fret it's like you know it's just cutting (laughs) butter with a hot knife it's so easy when you remember that fun is part of this and it's contagious dude I love that no. Yeah. I had to go to MI now and teach it at two. So. Oh, really? So I really appreciate you meeting early. To yes, absolutely. And, well, uh, I don't have to go very far. So, <laughs> like I said, as a comedian, nothing is funny before noon. And I usually have my comedy meetings later, but this is, I'm telling stories and talking guitar, which it oftentimes has nothing to do with humor. It's just me getting excited about this. You thing. know what's funny? It really did start getting really funny in the last half hour. And you yeah. know what time it is? 12:34. See, there you go. Your theory is right. My theory is right. Things get the coffee kicked <laughs> in finally. That reminds me of something at the, one of those guitar superstar things that Satriani said to Mike Orlando after he played his blazing instrumental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the whole room was quiet, and Joe's like, "Okay, Mike, have you heard of decaf?" <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's play some brutal. Uh, let's say, oh yeah, let's uh, yeah. What are we gonna play? How about B minor, G major to. E major or something. So, e minor. I don't know. Is that too slow? Or yeah, let's do it. Three. Four. 